We never know where life will lead us or what may hinder us along the way. But while every day can feel like one big question mark, it doesn't have to. With the right insights, strategies, and solutions from Western and Southern Financial Group, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right, so, we're going team by team. I would be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I gonna get sued? Is that legal on this? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, and all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast, Steve Pelzola, Sam Monson. We're back live on YouTube. Wink, wink. We're live mm. on a Tuesday. It's a Tuesday edition. People are going to scroll through their stuff and be like, why didn't they? Why, why are they wearing the same stuff as Monday? Yeah. Some people are going to do that. Look, we believe in radical candor. Maybe this was recorded. Mm. We got this, though. We're live on YouTube. We love the interaction. We might just not answer you this time. <laughs> so... Uh, today, we're talking about the uh, top five, basically, position groups here. Top five units in the NFL. So this is, uh, last year, yesterday we did Offensive Defensive Rookies of the Year. And uh, now, we can look at, you got to be careful when you say that. Let's, uh, position groups. We're talking about position groups. So this could be, uh, we might have a completely different list here, Sam. Hopefully. I don't know where your, your mind went on this one. Before we get into it, a quick reminder, of course, the PFF NFL Podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow, Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. All right, Sam. This was a uh, quick reminder, too, to the people. Off-season mode. Taking a lot of requests, NFL podcast at pff.com. Email us with show suggestions, things that you want us to try over these next couple months, shows that you would like to hear, guests you might want to hear from. Uh, we're open to any and all ideas as we continue to go five days a week here, as far into the offseason as we possibly can before we run out of things to say. Hmm. Sound good? Sure. Are you ready for this? Uh huh. We're ranking the best position units position groups across the NFL. I'll let you start first. Who is number one? Yeah, free agency has happened. The draft has happened. All of the principal team-building elements of the offseason are already done. And it's only May the, a, the 9th. May the 9th, not May the 8th. Well done. Thank well you. done. Don't look at the date on your computer. Uh, Add one. It's only May the 9th. Um, there is still some free agents available. We'll get to them a bit later when we talk about bad units in the league right now. But after the main principal parts of team building are done, I think that the best unit, one of the best, I haven't ranked them in order. I've just ranked five really good ones, five oh, of okay. the top ones. So one of the best units in the league, I think, is the Philadelphia Eagles defensive line. Yeah, it is. Yeah, they're really good still, again. I mean, they, the Eagles clearly prioritize defensive line with everything they do. You know, they, they want that rotation. They want that depth. Now, they lost players in the offseason. Javon Hargrave played 800-plus snaps for them last season, was their principal interior pass rush presence, and he's gone. But 
they backfilled. They had Jalen Carter in the draft, arguably the best player in the entire draft just on the field. Um, they also had Nolan Smith in the draft. They were able to keep adding players, and they retained some guys as well. They brought back Fletcher Cox. They brought back Brandon Graham. They still have Josh Sweat, Hassan Reddick, uh, Jordan Davis, obviously, from before, Milton Williams, even though he hasn't necessarily you know, become an impact player for them. But that's a serious amount of depth and rotation uh, amongst impact playmakers. And if they hit on those first-round picks, it's you know it could be devastating. Yeah, the Eagles are loaded. It's always a it's always a goal to have eight guys that can rotate in on the defensive line. They've got that in more this year. Um, I went back and forth between focusing on depth and focusing on the starters when it came to the uh, unit rankings here. So the Eagles make sense. I did consider them on my list, but I actually went with the Washington Commanders defensive line mm. as my number one because of. Because Chase Young is back again. I think, you know, one year removed from the knee surgery and all that stuff. I, I'm I'm focused on the starters here. Okay. Which is Chase Young and Montez Sweat on the edge. Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne on the interior. Deron Payne this offseason just became one of the highest paid defensive tackles. He's making over $22.5 million. I think he's the fourth best player on the defensive line. So that's my that's my reasoning for the commander's being that high now they certainly don't have the same kind of depth as the eagles i cannot rattle off defensive linemen five through eight five through nine Mm. and say look at all this depth they've got perfectly fine backups nothing special but the the group of starters here with my projection that chase young assuming he's healthy right that chase young gets back on track i think jonathan allen's one of the better interior pass rushers in the league deron Payne is good he's not 13 sack good but he's good and Montez Sweat is one of the most underrated players in the NFL. And Sweat deserves to get paid. I think the commanders are going to pay him, which is a big part of the reason why they did not pick up the fifth-year option on Chase Young. They're going to invest in Montez Sweat. Maybe they find a way to keep Chase Young, but I doubt it. But Montez Sweat has been a top seven most valuable edge defender in two of the last three seasons. So I'm going with the commanders as my favorite defensive line in the NFL yeah Sweat had 62 pressures last season a career high by a pretty large margin uh, the best pass rushing grade of his career and the best overall grade of his career as well and because Chase Young was like number two overall and you know the the generational edge rusher talent kind of tend to forget that Montez Sweat was also a first round pick also is an athletic freak show like six foot six 260 pounds who put up some insane numbers I mean he should be really good and he's He's realizing that at this point. Um, yeah. Realizing like the potential that he obviously had. He's got a bunch of good grades, but he also he's played you know, played seven hundred to forty like when he's he's played over eight hundred snaps or close to eight hundred snaps, three out of his four seasons. He's uh missed some time in two thousand twenty one. But when he's on the field, good all around three down player. So I think Sweat is a little underrated around the NFL. So I went commander's defensive line. You went Eagles defensive line as best units who uh who else is on your list even though it's not ranked in order just wanted to pull up sweats uh measurables because i knew they were insane from memory 35 inch arms uh 35.75 99th percentile arm length uh 96 percentile hand size for whatever that's worth uh 40 yard dash 99th percentile 441 uh 1.54 10 yard split that's 98th percentile and then all the jumps, the three-cone, everything essentially is 80th percentile or higher. The only thing that wasn't was the bench press, which you're not going to have with 36-inch arms. No Shouldn't matter. even have done it. Right. 
like well even <coughs> that being said 21 22. reps yeah there you go at with essentially 36 inch arms is actually pretty impressive so yes this is one of the most ridiculous athletic profiles from an edge it's, rusher ever. It's funny because he went pick 26 yeah. in 2019. Washington I mean, drafted could... Dwayne Haskins in the middle of the first. They traded back into the first to get sweat. You're talking, you're just, you just described a workout, not at Trayvon Walker's level, but not far off. similar. And this is probably what people hoped that Tyree Wilson would have as a workout, as a super long edge defender. But just three years before Trayvon Walker went number one overall, Montez Sweat went 26th. Right. And... Montez Sweat was not an elite pass rusher coming out of college. He was a pretty good pass rusher and a very good run defender. So you kind of combine all of that, good production, great workout measurables, and it's turned into, again, one of the most dependable edge defenders in the NFL and one of the most valuable because when he's on the field, he's a three-down player. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, it's, not, it's never going to be like for like, and a different draft is a different set of, uh, set of criteria and opportunity costs and all those kinds of things, but you can make a better case for Montez Sweat going really high than you can Trevon Walker going really high, given college production plus athletic measurables and all those kinds of things. Uh, he was a far better college player than Trevon Walker was pretty small sample size himself only a couple of years and those couple of years were both fewer than 500 snaps but vastly more productive better pff grade etc and had you know a measurables profile that was basically as good as anything trayvon walker has so i'm going washington and uh good job looking up the Montez sweat stuff to back on my point mm -hmm. who else do you have uh, I went with – so let's stay with the defensive lines. I think the Jets' defensive line is now in a similar kind of category to Philadelphia's as well. Um, they were already really good last season. They, they had some players that obviously had career years. Quinn and Williams had the best year we've seen from him. Um, they, John Franklin Myers had another really good year. Bryce Huff was really good in a situational role. Since that point – They've added players. They've added Will McDonald in the draft, who as a situational, as a pure edge rusher, I think can have a real impact right away. Carl Lawson should be coming back, should be a year removed from the injury that stopped him being the impact playmaker he was supposed to be for that defense. He could be a cap casualty, you know, late in the process, but I think they're going to keep him. And if he's part of your rotation, that's a really useful player to have. Jermaine Johnson, the third pick they had last season yes third pick um, in the first round didn't make a ton of noise in a, in his rookie year like they had four early picks in the first two rounds and three of the four were either rookies of the year or rookie of the year candidates before getting hurt and then the fourth was Jermaine Johnson who was reasonably solid against the run but didn't offer an awful lot as a pass rusher but you know in year two could potentially take a step forward You've got guys like Al Woods on the defensive line as well. Like, the depth and starting talent there, I think, is really impressive. Al Woods is coming off of his best two seasons in the NFL over the last two years. He came into the league in 2010. Yeah, 2010, fourth rounder. Average across the board. Two of his, two of his best three seasons over the last two years as just a run-stopping nose tackle type. Did pretty well in Seattle. I'll say that. The Jets do have all their roles filled basically right with Al Woods playing more of a nose Quinn and Williams you're penetrating three technique and yeah they have loaded up with back-to-back -back first rounders on the edge plus a Carl Lawson and everybody that you mentioned there so it's good I didn't really consider the Jets I don't know I don't think they have the star power 
as Washington, and they don't have the depth, the same depth as the Eagles. But I, I get it, especially if Jermaine Johnson and Will McDonald both come good, right? McDonald mm-hmm. in the role that you expect as a designated pass rusher, Johnson in year two, where he was fine when he was out there on the field. He was good. Yeah, there's, uh, there's something there. I mean, they don't even Chance. need, you know, they certainly don't need both of them to come good for that to be a really, really good defensive line. If one of them does, it's going to give teams all kinds of problems. Like, Quinton Williams is as good as anybody on that Washington defensive line. John Franklin Myers might be a step behind that, but it's not a big step. Um, so you've already got two of your four starters at that kind of level. Carl Lawson, we know, has that ability in him from pre-injury Carl Lawson. Um, and then it's a case of what can Will McDonald, Jermaine Johnson bring to the table. They've also got Quentin Jefferson. Like, the depth is really impressive. I like that you're just not putting an order on this because I didn't want to have to rank. I hate ranking things. You know that. Yeah, which is unfortunate since everybody seems to want us to rank everything. Why'd you have this two and that three? Like, I don't know. It's just the order I wrote them. Anyway, um, I did try to rank mine. Okay. So my second one, Falcons running backs. Hmm. Okay. They're loaded. No, that's true. You went very specific. What do you mean? Like running backs. I mean, that's... Really zeroing in on a, a group. How about uh, Falcons backfield? I have a backfield in mine, but it's because I'm broadening it from running backs. Yeah, like sometimes I was specific, more. sometimes I was broad. It depends. Okay, I, so they're running the Fal- backs. Falcons What's... running backs. I think they'd be good if they just had uh, Tyler Algier and Codero Patterson. Yeah, they and then they were. added Bijan Robinson. They were last year. Yes, yeah. they were good. You added Bijan Robinson to one of the best backfields in the NFL. Yes, yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty damn good. How so, are they going to get what is the what is the target dis, or not the target what is the carry distribution going to look like for the Atlanta Falcons? Plus year? Caleb Huntley was decent last year when he was in there. So he really was. That guy uh, averaged almost 5 yards a carry and was as productive as anybody else when they gave him the ball. Yeah, I mean th- this is what this is what we say over and over again. I think let me just give a couple examples in the NFL before we get to the carry distribution. I think there are some opportunities for the NFL. There there have been some opportunities in the NFL for teams to be really, really smart and to take advantage of their scheme advantages, say. And then sometimes they just do the opposite, right? So here's here's a couple examples off the top of my head. The Ravens have created five yards per carry running backs over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. They did it with Gus Edwards as an undrafted rookie, and then the next year they drafted J.K. Dobbins in the second round. Reasoning probably, oh, if Gus Edwards can average five per carry, Dobbins can average six. Okay, that's just, that's just one thing. Every time Kyle Shanahan drafts a running back, of course, we know he could create anybody into a great running back. For the most part, still drafting running backs high, Kyle Shanahan. The Rams, I thought, were really close to being super smart with how they treated their edge defenders because Aaron Donald was creating 10 sack guys. They created a 15-sack Dante Fowler season. They let him walk, earned a comp pick. They could have done this every single year, like the Oakland A's finding 30 save guys in the early 2000s, the Moneyball version, right? You just create comp picks left and right. And the Rams even did it with Leonard Floyd on a one-year deal. And then they locked him up for four years and then released him two years later. They could have leaned into that and absolutely created 10-sack edge defenders and let the rest of the league pay them over and over and over again. And then the Falcons. They took fifth round, Tyler Algier. They took Cordero Patterson, created a very, in in Huntley, and had a very effective run game. And then they went and drafted Bijan Robinson at pick number eight to make a very good run game a little bit better. Yeah, well, it's a lot like like the 49ers, where 
for years. Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers have actually invested a reasonable amount in the run game and in running backs in particular. And almost every time they do, it's the guy that has less invested in him that ends up being the better player or the more productive member of the backfield or whatever until Christian McCaffrey rolled in. But sort of from every step of the process, you'd be like, they're the poster child for don't invest in running backs because the guys that produce are the ones that don't have any investment in them. And the Falcons... Last year, the backfield essentially was a fifth-round pick, Tyler Algier. Uh, Cordero Patterson, who was a first-round wide receiver back in 2013 and then became a sort of journeyman running back convert. And Caleb Huntley, who was an undrafted rookie in 2021. So second-year player last year. Uh, like that's basically as little as you can possibly invest in a backfield. And yet all of them were averaging 4.8 yards per carry or better and at least three yards after contact per carry or better. Like those are insane numbers. And then they go and draft Bijan Robinson at number eight overall, the highest running back in the draft. Yeah. To me, it's just like a very interesting way of looking at team building that I think teams might be able to find an advantage. Just one other quick story. I was talking to a college team recently and they were trying to figure out how do I use PFF data to leverage the transfer portal and they were talking about their scheme and how their coach really likes to blitz linebackers right and he's like how do I find the best blitzing linebackers in college football and I was basically I basically said what if you reposed the question and said are you as a scheme better at blitzing linebackers and creating pressure is that actually your schematic advantage and so you don't need to go out of your way to find a good blitzing linebacker. Theoretically, you could take anybody because you're going to scheme up pressure. And you should actually find linebackers who are good at other stuff because you're going to you're the one that's going to develop, you know, pressure from the blitz packages and all that stuff. It wasn't necessarily a clean answer, but I think teams need to do that and figure out where do I actually have a schematic advantage? Where am I creating the production as a play caller that the player doesn't have to be great? I can actually get it out of them versus where are the places where I need to have good players, right? I'm not necessarily going to scheme them up into the best place. I'm going to – I need to have better production there. I feel like at I the moment – I think that's a concept that um, maybe teams could think about a little bit more, and everybody probably has their own thing that they can – where they can create the production and they don't need as good of a player. Yeah, well, I think – I feel at the moment that teams – are self-aware enough to understand those areas where it's like, hey, we're really good at creating this pressure or we're really good at creating this production here or this advantage here. But the way they look at it is if I'm already creating this leg up on everybody else, then think what happens if we get a really good player and plug them into that spot. Now we're getting that leg up plus the really good player. So it's 125% of you know yeah. the next best thing. Whereas, and I don't know that your way is the right or the wrong way of looking at this, but there's those two different approaches, right? I'm already really good at creating this from nothing. So if I get a really good player, now I'm getting the really good player plus the percentage that I'm able to create schematically, so we're way ahead. The alternative way of looking at that is, I'm really good at creating this so I can offset a disadvantage from a not great player and end up the same as a better player. Like which is actually the better saving or you know value add or uh, excess value you're getting is it the saving you're getting from being able to have worse players at that spot and still propping them up and making them look like they're the same as better players or is it the value add you get on on top of a really good player like i'm already yeah. investing in this spot 
now I can add 25% to his production or whatever, and we're good. I don't know the answer to that question. But at the moment, it feels like almost everybody in the NFL skews on one side of that equation rather than playing with the other side more. It's a tough one to research. I'm going to try to put more <clears throat> more depth around that to try to describe, maybe find other schematic advantages historically. Maybe uh, Kyle Shanahan, right tackles, things like that. But um, I think what it coaches think a lot is I found a good player to do what I like to do. I mean, I still think that's probably the mentality. Yeah, this guy was a good blitzing linebacker because I found the right guy for my system to do this thing. And it's tough to kind of like separate that from maybe it was, maybe it was you, the coach. Like you actually deserve credit for that particular thing. You know, it is tough to split credit sometimes in the analysis. All right, who else? Uh, let's go to your third. Um, I had the Browns offensive line. Uh, I think you could probably throw Philadelphia's offensive line in there as well, but I only have one offensive line. I went with Cleveland's. Um, okay, while we're here, I went the Chiefs' offensive line in my list. Hmm. So I think the Chiefs are up there with the Browns. You have the Chiefs over the Eagles on the offensive line. Yes. So let's uh, embrace debate here. Okay. Here would be my my reasoning for – here's why I would put the Chiefs above. I, I haven't, have you put offensive line rankings out? Okay, so we haven't we don't have like our official PFF offensive line rankings yet, which is nothing, always a great show. Nothing since the end of the season. Um, at, at, at a quick glance, not like hardcore analysis or anything like that. I would put the Chiefs over the Browns and the Eagles because I think the Browns have a weakness at left tackle with Jedrick Wills. I think the Eagles have at least a question mark at right guard. Uh-huh. Cam Jurgens maybe slotted to step in for Isaac Sayamalu. Or, you know, competition there at right guard. I think the Chiefs with Donovan Smith okay, coming yeah. in have they they're at least average at all spots they're elite on the interior with joe tooney creed humphrey and trey smith center uh guard center guard i think Jawan taylor i know he just made 20 million dollars i think he's average he's a good pass protector questionable run blocker i think donovan smith is average so i think they have zero holes in kansas city potentially whereas other teams might have one one weakness and kansas city's also again elite i think at three positions uh, I'm not sure if they're elite at three. They're, they're high end. Certainly two. Uh, they're elite at two. They're they're they have a high end starter, I think, in Trey Smith. I think that might be overselling Trey Smith a bit. Um, I do agree that Donovan Smith coming in possibly changes the picture a little bit. Where before it was Juwan Taylor at left tackle, even if you assume he was going to be the same at left tackle as he was at right tackle, which is by no means a certainty, given that he basically never played there before. Um, right tackle was a complete question mark it's like we've got two or three guys battling for that spot and we don't know if any of them can really play so that that's a potential issue donovan smith is his own question mark but it's probably a much higher baseline of question mark like worst season of his career last year but battling injury we don't know quite what he'll look like next year but it's probably going to be okay uh the rest of that offensive line creed humphrey is as good as any center in the nfl he's right up there with jason kelsey maybe even slightly better at this point um, and Joe Tooney, I think, is, is a really good left guard. I don't know if Trey Smith is quite as good as that as a billing or even the reputation. He's a little bit a little bit inconsistent, skews a little bit to those sort of highlight reel plays, which I think, and the fact that he's a great story, you know, a six-round pick that was overlooked because of medical concerns and is a really good NFL player. Uh, but I think we possibly oversell how good he is a little bit. And then John Taylor... Should be good. Should be a solid right tackle, certainly from a pass-blocking standpoint. I don't think they care that he's a potential weakness as a, a run blocker. So, yeah, I mean, it's in the conversation. But my point being, I don't know that 
Jedrick Wills is dramatically worse than the worst player on the Kansas City Chiefs offensive line next year. Whether that ends up being Donovan Smith or Trey Smith or even Juwan Taylor, I don't know that Jedrick Wills is that much worse than whoever that will be. And I think the Browns are stronger in a couple of areas. I, I really think if Jack Conklin's healthy, and I know he's been getting banged up these last couple of years. When he's healthy, I mean, I get it. They're the, the top four for the Browns, Joel Batonio at guard and Wyatt Teller at guard, still two of the one of the best guard combos in the NFL. Yep. Ethan Posick has gotten so much better over the last couple of years. Nice, that was a nice buy low at center for the Browns. We always talk about finding offensive linemen in year four, three, four, five. They did that. If Conklin's healthy, I get it. And then I love the, and I would have Dewan Jones yeah. competing. Well, the draft, the the two of them. You yeah. got Dewan Jones, and you got you know the Luke, Luke Whipler as well. Yeah. So you've got two rookies. Okay, each of whom slipped, and we've said before, there's not a great body of evidence that says halting the slide of guys that fall in the draft is actually great value. So this could be just wishing something that isn't there. But Dewan Jones, I think, has first round ability. He slipped largely, I believe, because of all the stuff Chris was talking about pre-draft and during the draft show, turned everybody off with his attitude over the pre-draft process, whether it was bailing on the senior bowl after one day of good practice, essentially declaring on that one day like a cricket performance, being like, no, I'm done. That's my score. Read into it as you will. And then showing up at his pro day, seemingly having an attitude, not wanting to get on the scales, sitting there with, as Chris said, his man purse while everybody else worked out and did whatever they were doing, whatever. It appears to be his entire approach to this offseason has absolutely soured the NFL on him. But if he, if he chooses to view that as a kick in the ass, as, oh man, I was a first-round pick and now I'm a fourth-round pick, I need to get my crap together, work, and show everybody that I belong and I need to get that second contract because, all right, I just got good money, but I didn't get generational, you know, all my life is all my uh, woes are over money. I got to get that in the second deal. So if he chooses to see it like that, Dewan Jones could start for this team before too long. Um, and Luke Whipler could be a starting center down the line as well. So they, I think, ensured themselves in a bit of depth there as well. So you're think, going with the depth aspect of it for the Browns. Well, in combination. I mean, I think their starting five is as good as anybody in the NFL. And if you like those two players that they drafted, which we do, they just added two really good depth pieces to the to a team where you're sort of poking holes in the depth of other teams. Okay, that's fair. Philadelphia, by the way, should be really good as well. I, I mean, consider were, the Eagles as well. They were They're, the best offensive line in the league last year. They lose Isaac Sayamalu. Um, they will presumably put Cam Jurgens in to start at that other guard spot, which is a it's a risk, it's a question mark, but it should be functional, you would imagine, if for no other reason than the other four guys are basically Pro Bowl slash All-Pro level. Yeah, I mean, Philly's definitely really good. I'm, I'm interested to see what that right guard competition looks like in Philly. But yeah, four out of five starters are above average to elite. So Lane Johnson, if he's healthy as well. So yeah, I considered Philadelphia. Are we? Do we agree that's probably the three best offensive lines in the NFL? Is there someone else we're missing there? Dallas. Dallas could be. Maybe they're getting guys back from injury, but they could be in that conversation. I think off the top um, of my head. The other, I'm not saying the Colts are there. The Colts had a terrible offensive line last year, but back, but you yeah. could see them bounce back, right? Particularly it, in this offense, yes. like an offense that's probably going to stress them less than it did. Uh, Baltimore's offensive line ended up 
finish the season really highly ranked, they could be in the conversation. Green Bay's is always good. They should be there or thereabouts. Uh, but I would say that you're probably talking about the three best, the ones that we talked about. So the third team that you highlighted was the Browns offensive line. And then I said, okay, I, I did put a ranking together, and I said the Chiefs O-line as number five. I considered the Eagles, thought about the Browns as well. Uh, my third uh, powerful position group that I want to highlight here, the Dolphins secondary. That's my fourth, yeah. That's your fourth, okay. So Jalen Ramsey coming in. Saving Howard already there. And that was where, so, you know, you your hyper-specificness, I thought about going corners, Miami corners. Just corners, and just yeah, yeah. And I was like, no, you know, Javon Holland's really good at safety. I, I, I'm going to broaden it. I'm going to give him the entire secondary here. Javon Holland, who did, you took a bit of a step back in year two last year, but Javon Holland was a big reason why I wanted to highlight just the secondary. Yeah. Javon Holland, and they bring in Deshaun Elliott, who's been an underrated, good, good solid player across the NFL. So I think it's a decent safety group. The two starting corners, Jalen Ramsey and Xavier Howard. Uh, Cater Kahu. <laughs> when have I ever said his name on air? That's the second time. Uh, I just saw the fear in your eyes when you realized you were going to have to pronounce the second name for the first time. Cater. <laughs> Cater, the slot who had a really good rookie season. <laughs> well done, Steve. Um, <laughs> in addition to Cam Smith. <laughs> being their top draft pick in the second round here. Cam Smith, I mean, he didn't play great in the slot last year. That's probably not his his spot, but he, yeah. could, he, could, he could play outside and Jalen Ramsey play in the slot. Let's not just say Jalen Ramsey has been a slot player for the Rams over the last couple of years. That's where he really thrives, inside-outside. So Cam Smith could be competing for those starting snaps right away in Fangio's defense here. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they do deploy that. I think Jalen Ramsey is the big... Um, X factor, the big, the fulcrum around which all this secondary needs to function, needs to pivot. They need to figure out, are they going to play him outside? Are they going to play him in the slot? What is his role going to be? I think they have players that can move around to accommodate wherever they want to play Jalen Ramsey. But in my opinion, the best deployment of that group would probably be Xavier Howard out wide, Jalen Ramsey in the slot and out wide. But as the, when they go to nickel, Cam Smith would be the guy that comes in as the outside corner and Jalen Ramsey moves into the slot, you know, during those sub packages. So, you know, for that small percentage of plays where they're playing base defense, Ramsey plays outside and the rest of the time he's inside. Um, and they cater Coho is the dime back, essentially. Oh, is that how you say it? I don't know. I'm going to give it a shot. You said it with more confidence than I did. That's at the least. thing. That's the key. You just got yeah. to roll through and pretend. Uh, interesting that the Dolphins, anyway, you would probably you know look at their receiving core and say that's one of the best as well the dolphins are strong in the right areas i think on the perimeter you want to be good enough on the offensive line that's still a question mark in miami the defensive line is is solid uh, led by christian wilkins but the real strengths of miami could be the secondary and the receivers that doesn't always pan out exactly as you want but if the dolphins stay healthy Xavier howard plays to his potential there is there's home run capability on this Dolphins roster mm -hmm. because the potential strength lies on the perimeter where you put points on the board and you keep points off the board, basically. So um, it makes Miami in this loaded AFC East, this loaded AFC. They were a playoff team last year. Tua running the show. If he stays healthy and everything, Miami is going to be – people are going to sleep on Miami again, I think. But they're, they're strong in the right areas. Man, the AFC is going to be so good next year. Again. Yeah. Again. 
so that was your fourth. Yep. Uh, my fourth was the Bengals receivers, es- especially with their draft additions. So, of course, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and Tyler Boyd. I think that's the best trio in the NFL. You add Charlie Jones to the mix. You add Princeton to the mix. Princeton. Princeton. Bengals receivers, man. They might be number one. Uh, receivers folds in tight ends? No, so. just receivers. Okay, just wide receivers. I went, I went super specific again. Yeah. If I, if I was going to include tight ends, I'd say pass catchers. Okay. I mean, I would say a receiving core receiving factors core. in the tight ends. I think even backs. if you throw the tight ends in there, it's Irv it's Smith, fine. Drew Sample. Yeah. Irv Smith is a really interesting buy low as a, as a receiving Second option. year in a row they've done that, right, with, with – um, Hayden Hurst last year. Like, let's take a talented tight end that hasn't worked out so far and see if yeah. we can revive him. Like, we, it's probably not a bad strategy. Like, we're starting with the with the baseline of Joe Burrow is our quarterback. Anybody playing tight end is probably going to get a decent number of reasonable looks if he can function and just move to the right space. He's going to be open sometimes, and Joe Burrow will find him. So, a guy like Irv Smith or Hayden Hurst, like it's not a bad roll of the dice to take. So a lot of people wanted the Bengals to draft a tight end just because it's like, all right, of course, if you have a Michael Mayer or even a Darnell Washington for whatever you like, whether you like him or not, you just have this other guy that you have to account for. Nobody's really accounting for Hayden Hurst hmm. on a given play. And you know, to your point, last year's offense, you have enough receiving talent. Joe Burrow's really good throwing the ball outside the numbers. And the tight end was essentially like a glorified checkdown option, right? They catch their stick routes on early downs. They're they're more of a, you know, option four on a lot, you know, on passing downs and their safety net and all that stuff. So a lot of people wanted the Bengals to invest in tight end and say, hey, why not have a better stretch the seam option or whatever it might be. But I think Irv Smith, Drew Sample, they're perfectly fine to to run that current role. And Irv Smith might have a little bit more potential to be a mismatch creator and yeah. take a little bit of pressure off the receivers. But I'm I'm mostly focused on the receiving aspect here because I think Charlie Jones as a four, even Trent Taylor on the roster, like those guys are those are good fourth and fifth receivers when of course the stars are Jamar Chase and T. Higgins. Yeah, I mean if Charlie Jones simply replaces the Trent Irwin games from last year, like the random game where Trent Irwin pops off and instead it's Charlie Jones, you probably upgraded. Um the Princeton uh, Andre Yosivas, he's going to be fascinating to see. Number one, does he make the roster first and foremost? He was like a sixth-round pick, right? So that's no guarantee by any stretch. But, like, he has potential. He was a decathlete, I think, was his background. So he's like a serious athlete. He's got the size, the speed. He has the tools. Um, and obviously on this roster, he doesn't have any real pathway to seeing the field barring injuries. But is a guy you would probably want to keep around to see if you can develop and he does buy you some future proofing or the ability some flexibility at that uh position all right so that's my fourth but again i th- i could put the bengals number one if i was re-ranking okay who do who else do you have here who, so, who do you have five it was my backfield um the colts backfield because you're putting richardson back there yeah why wouldn't you? That's cheating. How's it cheating? He's in the backfield. So you just said anybody that has a he back the in their position. Back. The backfield. Quarterback, running back, full back. Uh-huh. H back. Yeah. Okay. You just throw all backfield. the backs in there. 
So you got Jonathan Taylor, who's still one of the best running backs in the NFL. And now you have Anthony Richardson, who might be as good a rushing threat as any quarterback in the NFL. Is up there with Lamar Jackson, Justin Fields. You know, this is the selling point for Anthony Richardson. Literally the most athletic quarterback that's ever entered the league. And now you get to pair him with Jonathan Taylor behind an offensive line that should be fine. Should be fine at minimum and could be good again. That's the best backfield in the league. I mean, yeah, you, we all have poetic license when we're doing these lists. How's that poetic license? It's just what it is. Because a backfield usually means the running back and fullback. That's what it usually means. It the also, quarterback. So, like, if you were doing position rankings, uh-huh. you would have a ranking for the quarterback. Where does the quarterback line up? You would have a ranking for the quarterback, <laughs> and you would have a ranking for the running back room, right? So, when... When Anthony Richardson, when they, when they break up for team meetings, is he in the same meeting room as Jonathan Taylor? Or would he be in the same meeting room what? as the now-to-be-retired Nick Foles? How is that? How do you determine this? It's literally in his position title. He's the quarterback next to the halfback and the Stop fullback. It. Stop. Because they line up in the backfield. Stop it. He's in the backfield. I mean, again, poetic license. You can do whatever you want. It's, a, it's just it is. what it is. It is. Fine. I mean, yeah. It's, it's acceptable because it's May and we can do whatever we want here on May 9th. Yes, like use do whatever we want the way they're supposed to be used. All right, my fifth one was the Chiefs offensive line. We already talked about them a little bit. So mm-hmm. my five uh, best units around the NFL, commander's defensive line, not necessarily in this order, but they'll be listed in this order and probably tweeted out. Commander's <laughs> defensive line, Falcons running back room, Dolphins secondary, Bengals receivers, and the Chiefs offensive line. Yeah, my five were the Eagles defensive line, the Jets defensive line, the Browns offensive line, the Miami secondary, and the Colts backfield. So I consider the 49ers pass catchers, so I broke the meeting room, but I described them as pass catchers. Yes. That is me (laughs) combining receivers and tight ends. The meeting room rule that only exists in your brain in the last two minutes. Well, you're trying to tell me that that's a backfield um, so the Niners pass catchers probably got snubbed here just because Debo Samuel Brandon Ayuk and George Kittle as a starting point plus Jawan Jennings plus maybe a year two breakout from Danny Gray in that offense yeah and you know if you're using pass catchers as your pass designation catchers. then Christian McCaffrey is absolutely a and Christian McCaffrey is in there as well so mm-hmm. yeah the Niners pass catchers I considered the Eagles O-line who you mentioned I considered the Dallas defensive line as well So I don't, you know, the recent story, I don't even know if it's a story, but Micah Parsons is going to bulk up and play edge, which he played last year anyway. Yeah, that was a weird, like, almost glitch in the matrix moment where it's like, did we sleep through last year? What do we think happened last year? So I think the only difference in what happened last year. So listen, I I put the, the Cowboys defensive line because you have Micah Parsons and DeMarcus Lawrence as a starting point. You add Mozzie Smith there. You've got pretty good depth with guys like Sam Williams off the edge. Jonathan Hankins comes in to maybe be a run stopper. It's not a great overall unit, but the high-end potential with the two pass rushers, huge. The Micah Parsons story, bulking up to play edge, he effectively was an edge defender last year. effect, I mean, he was. 14 different edge rushers had more snaps in coverage than Micah Parsons last season. Like, he played edge rusher last year. But, I don't know if you re- like if you rewind 12 months— he was an off-the-ball linebacker as a rookie 
who then they discovered, turns out, is actually the best pass rusher in the draft and an incredible player. And we moved him around. We had him do a bit of both. And then last season, it became very obvious that they had decided, you know what, since he's Lawrence Taylor, we should probably use him as an edge rusher. Here's the difference, though. There were games where he was a linebacker last year. There were, there were game- like two of them. There were, there, was, there were games where it was more game plan oriented. He played over 20 just straight up box linebackery type snaps. One, two, three, four, four times. Yeah. It did it did taper off as the season went on. But you see like week ten against Green Bay. Ten, it was one game. Yeah. Ten snaps on the edge, forty nine as a true linebacker. That game. So, so I think all this announcement is saying is Micah Parsons, who's listed at two forty five. Is that what he let's say he's let's say he's really two forty five. He's probably gonna try to get to two fifty five and they're gonna have far fewer of these game plan oriented things. He'll still move around but I don't think he'll have a week where it's like he gets handed the game plan on Wednesday and it's like, hey, Micah, you're, you're an inside backer this week. I think we're just – that's gone. That's right. done. There will be times where he lines up at inside backer and blitz packages and all that stuff. So I think that's essentially what was said. To me, that's a non-story. Micah Parsons is playing the same exact position as he played last year, and we are less likely to have these game plan-oriented weeks where he's more of a traditional linebacker. We'll still move him around. It'll be a, you know, a mismatch. He'll still be a mismatch creator, but he's effectively a defensive end. I mean, I think they were also injury-related last season, which, by the way, I think will absolutely still happen this year. If they get a bad run of injuries along, you know, a particular area, Michael Parsons is going to be the guy that moves to accommodate that because he's the only one that can do it. So he was an edge rusher last year. It was like it was one game where he played more off the ball linebacker than edge rusher. And if they need him to do that again this year, he'll do that again this year. It's there's. It's, it's not a story. It's just what already happens. Great. I'm glad we covered the non-story, but we had to we had to cover the non-story. We're gonna we're gonna gonna cover a lot of non-stories here. Once we get some more OTA quotes coming through, we're gonna have a lot of OTA quotes. We're gonna have Great. Tyree Kill slowing down on a Tua deep ball and saying, "Oh, it's an underthrown deep ball," and you know, Tua is not accurate and his arm's not good enough, and it's never gonna work with Tyree Kill. We spent a lot of time on that stuff last year. It's gonna happen again this year. Daniel Jones hits a swing pass, and the Giants' Twitter account sweeten it out. Like, look at this. Danny Dimes hit a swing pass. This is the stuff. This is the news cycle. It's coming up soon. Get ready. The good stuff. Okay. All right. Now, you wanted to go the other way on this? Yeah, too? we've talked about the best units in the NFL. Things are not as rosy for other units in the NFL. There are teams who, despite free agency and the draft, are still looking at they're the units on paper and thinking, wow, we stink. So, you know, we're not, it's not over. There's still free agency. There are still players available in free agency. We talk about this a lot. Like the, the time for adding players is not done. The Chiefs, they just changed the outlook of their offensive line because they went, ooh, <laughs> I saw three sets of Juwan Taylor playing left tackle. That's not going to work. We're going to need to move him back to the right side. You know, that's not really what happened. Oh, it's definitely what happened. And we're going to need a left tackle. We're going to need Stop a starter. painting a fake picture of what happened. So they go and they, get, they sign Donovan Smith off the street. He was an available free agent. After free agency and after the draft, you can still pick up a viable starting player and completely change the complexion of a unit or of an offense or of your entire team. Those players are still out there. So let's go fix some, some units. All right, you start. What's the, the worst unit in the NFL right now? Arguably the worst unit in the NFL is the Tennessee Titans wide receiver room, which is one of the worst I can remember on paper looking down the list. So 
Traylon Burks. Okay, we like Traylon Burks generally. You know, big-bodied, slightly gimmicky receiver coming into the NFL. There was questions about what he's going to be. I thought he flashed as a rookie, but the there are still questions about what he's going to be. Like he was injured for a bit, so we didn't get to see the full breadth of what he could be. The offense also got injured and was bad. Blah blah blah. So Traylon Burks is by far the best option they have, and is a massive question mark. After that. We've got Nick Westbrook-Akina, we've got Racy McMath, we've got Colton Dowell, we've got Reggie Robertson Jr., we've got Kyle Phillips, we've got Chris Moore, we've got Mason Kinsey. This is problematic. Yeah, it's not great. Yeah. Anyone available to fix that? No. Um, you, you look at the available wide receiver free agents, and it is catastrophically bad. It is a barren wasteland of nobody that can help your team. Do you want to? Do you want to be the team that, that tries to reclaim Kenny Galladay after what we saw from the Giants? No, might need to be. Do you want to be the team that brings in Julio Jones again and seeing if he's got anything left? He's probably retiring. Yeah, AJ Green. He's still around. You know, let's see if we can tempt him back for one last. No, uh, Byron Pringle. T.Y. Hilton would be an intriguing option. He actually showed some juice towards the end there at Dallas. You know, maybe you can get something useful out of him. The one available free agent wide receiver that I would even be interested in picking up the phone to find out if they're still, you know, running and not on a beach somewhere is Jarvis Landry, who played with the Saints. That's it. That's the only player you would That's even it. pick up the phone to talk to. Oh, Rashad Higgins. Bring in Rashad Higgins. Just oh, okay. You're still good. Priors. Draft yeah. priors still in existence Draft for Higgins. Priors. Yeah. Get him in uh, Tampa it, Bay with Baker to, to shine. Yeah. That's his buddy. It is a bad position while while we're talking receiver core has receiver reached this point much like quarterback we're finding starters is easy um except maybe for the titans <laughs> but finding starters is easy like our friend mike clay uh, i don't know we're going to do receiver rankings at some point but mike clay put out his receiver rankings you know uh, of formerly of pff fantasy writer for uh for espn fantasy uh talent personality for espn when you look at receiving cores, he has a team like the Packers in the like, at like 28. And forget whether they're 28 or they're 20 or forget the ranking for a second. But you could easily read the Packers' names and say, well, Christian Watson's one of them, and he was a, an explosive deep threat. Christian Watson to go with Jaden Reed and Romeo Dobbs, and, you know, that's not – it's not terrible. The same way I've been reading out, the Panthers aren't terrible, I don't think, right? Like you could – if Adam Thielen and DJ Chark and Mingo and – Terrace Marshall, if, if all those guys are healthy, it's not terrible. It was the Colts for years. The Colts were in the 20s again by his rankings for like the fifth straight year where I was saying these guys aren't going to carry Carson Wentz. They're not going to carry Matt Ryan like they probably need, but they're good. I mean, they're fine. Michael Pittman Jr. and Alec Pierce and Josh Downs, they're fine. To be a good receiving unit, you need to have a 1A, a 1B, and like a legitimate number three. And it's it's not an advantage. It's, it's, it's easy to find – three capable starters now at receiver there is there are a lot of capable receivers but the advantage in a receiving core is when you have a top five unit like when it's really at the top and you have alpha one like the Bengals do in Jamar Chase or like the Dolphins have in Tyree Kill or the Eagles and AJ Brown or the Cardinals with DeAndre Hopkins wherever he ends up it's easy to find receivers these days and you can't just be good there like, I don't think the Patriots receiving core is terrible on paper. Juju Smith-Schuster and Devontae Parker and Kendrick Bourne and Tyquan Thornton and Kayshawn Booty. But they're in the 20s. So 
the Titans being that low, first off, it's it's kind of tough to do. Um, they did trade A.J. Brown, and they're probably still dealing with that. But it's easy to find receiver starters, just like it's easy to find a quarterback starter these days. It's easy to find Marcus Mariota, but it's difficult to find a top five unit that is going to be game changers. That's all. Mm. Well, I think it is reasonably easy to find wide receiver talent. Now, the caveat to that is you need to draft it. Uh, it's not easy if you get to May and this is your wide receiver room. No, no, I'm not saying it's easy like from now to the season right. to get back on track. It's Be a rough spot there, in. Yeah, because I just read out the available options and they stink. Now, so a couple of options. Uh, no, so, okay, so finish my point. I think it's easy enough if you, if you actually draft it. Now, Tennessee was in a tough spot, I guess, to draft wide receivers because best player available, you would assume, you know, when, in their first round pick, Peter Skoronsky addressing a massive area of need, the offensive line, can't really argue with that. And they're the, they're the team that liked Will Levis enough to try and grab him in the second round once he slipped out of the first. Again, fine. The pick that you would quibble with if you're saying you kind of need to draft wide receivers is running back Tajay Spears in the third round. Now, I love Tajay Spears. I think he's a really good player. But And there were a lot of wide receivers off the board at that point, so it's not like you, know, you had the best – like Jordan Addison wasn't sitting there when you selected Tajay Spears. But – Michael Wilson was available at the point where you picked Taji Spears. Um, guys like Trey Tucker, uh, who else was available from the wide receiver room? There were receivers that if you added to this team, you'd be making the Jonathan Mingo arguments from yesterday and saying, like, there's a very quick pathway to this guy getting immediate playing time if we plug him onto this roster. Um, and they instead chose a running back in the third round and then didn't – did they address – receiver at all like the sixth or something i think they grabbed somebody uh the first row uh, the first receiver yeah colton dowell in the seventh round so yeah, i think it's reasonably easy to have a trouble yeah i think it's reasonably easy if you actually address the spot like if my if michael wilson was the pick in the third round it would change your outlook on yeah, this. wilson and burks yeah with with akina as a three probably right or, you know akina westbrook akina and michael wilson competing you would immediately look at that more favorably yeah. than as it currently stands without him. But so you then go, okay, we didn't draft one. That's a problem. The free agent group is catastrophic. That's a problem. Sure, we'll pick up the phone to Jarvis Landry, but that's about it. Maybe Rashad Higgins. The other thing is the trade that never manifested during the draft, somebody picking up the phone and saying, hey, would a first-round pick tempt you into trading away T. Higgins or Brandon Ayuk or Cortland Sutton or whoever it is? None of those trades ever showed up. Might, they might not be dead. Like if, if Tennessee picks up the phone and says, hey, 2024 first, first round pick, is T. Higgins potentially available? Like maybe one of those teams says no, but do all don't, three? Bengals fans don't want to hear it. But, but for, maybe, Cor maybe Cortland Sutton for like a two or but something. But my point being, there's, there's at least three teams out there that a first round pick would take a lot of turning down for a receiver that they already have like backup options to. That's probably your only shot if you're Tennessee, if you're going to get the receiving yes. core back on track. The other thing might be, okay, are they just going to be a two wide receiver team? Are they going to lean into 12 personnel and run game and all and, that stuff? And Denver definitely, by the way. I mean, they, they would be the most obvious one to trade somebody away. Like my, if I was Tennessee, Ron Carthon, I'm like, where do I call first? my hierarchy would be who do I think the best players are. So I'm starting with Cincinnati, maybe moving on to San Francisco for Brandon Ayuk, and then I'm coming to Denver 
who drafted a wide receiver, so presumably are going to be more uh, amenable to trading one away. They drafted Marvin Mims in the second round, right? So Cortland Sutton, they picked up Jerry Judy's fifth-year option. You've got Sutton, Marvin Mims, Marquez Calloway, K.J. Hamler, Tim Patrick, Jerry Judy, Kendall Hinton is still on the roster. Like, they have the players to be happy to trade one of those guys away. So I'd be surprised at this point if Tennessee couldn't get a deal done with Denver for one of their wide receivers. So that's you fixing the Tennessee receiving core. As best as is possible. As right best now. possible. Um, I think as far as the worst units go, it's Arizona's Everything. edge defenders, interior defensive linemen, corners. It's the Arizona defense. But let's just say it's the Arizona front seven. But I don't want to fix them. I don't want to win if I'm Arizona. So that's what's interesting here. Like if you're a team that needs edge defender help or defensive interior help, um, but like let's let's just focus on edge. If you're Arizona, I didn't mind last year's second and third round picks, Cameron Thomas or two third round picks, Cameron Thomas, Majai Sanders. But it's those two guys in this year's second rounder, B.J. Ojolari. Like those are your edge defenders. J.J. Watt retires, leaving you with L.J. Collier is a hybrid, under you know just underperformed first-round pick a couple years ago from Seattle. Carlos Watkins, Rashard Lawrence, Jonathan Ledbetter, Lucky Foto, Kevin Strong Jr. They drafted Dante Stills. I mean, there's there's not a lot of good. There's not a lot of talent there. There's some upside. There's some players you still haven't figured out yet, and maybe you find some players who are going to be a part of the rebuild. That's my phrase, right? They're going to be a part of the rebuild, but you're certainly not building around them. Did you really make it all the way through talking about their edge rushers and neglect to mention Dennis the Barbarian guard deck? Well, he's just understood as awesome. Okay. Yeah, we need to move him higher. On our, we got him in the, it, as a three on our depth chart. We need to fix that immediately. I mean, it's it's bad. He's at least a two. Yeah. But if you needed edge defenders, like if the if the Cardinals were rolling into the season and they thought they were a contender <laughs> and they needed help here, yeah. some of the names that are available right now, Leonard Floyd, Frank Clark, Robert Quinn, Yannick Ngakwe, Jadavian Clowney, um, Shelby Harris as more of an interior player, Marcus Golden, Melvin Ingram, bring him in every year for $5 million. I'll do it every single season. Well, you've got a lot better options than I had at wide receiver. Way better options. But I don't want to fix it. You don't want to fix it. I don't even want to fix it in Arizona. I'm just going to... Let it rot. Yes. We're just riding it out. Okay. And that's it. Because I want to lose. You want to see the young players. You want to see them, how they perform. Yeah. That's it. Okay, so maybe... How about the Colts cornerback room? As one of... After after they traded Stephon Gilmore. By the way, you mentioned... I mean, you know, you focus on... The edge rushers or whatever with Arizona. Basically the entire defense. I mean, that, you know, you've got <laughs> that linebacker. Okay, Zaven Collins and uh, Kazir White, fine. Kaiser White, okay, sure. Isaiah Simmons, we've turned into this weird slot corner hybrid thing, sure. Buda Baker wants out, but assuming he's still there, one safety is at least good. Uh, cornerback is bad. Like, everything in that defense is pretty atrocious, so... Yeah, you can focus on one specific area, but it's really the entire defense is one of the worst units you've seen on paper heading into a season in a long time. And my apologies. I didn't mean the Colts. I'm, I want to look at the Raiders cornerback group. Okay. Colts have a whole bunch of young guys, just some unknowns in Indianapolis, which is fine. The Raiders, they've invested a ton on the edge between Max Crosby, Chandler Jones, just drafted Tyree Wilson. Uh, Alabama's Byron Young is a hybrid player. The cornerback room for the Raiders includes David Long Jr., 
Duke Shelley coming off a great season. The great Duke Shelley. Nate Hobbs, who regressed massively in a new system last year after a, a nice rookie season in the slot. Brandon Fackerson, Corian Bennett, who they drafted. Amik Robertson, who has not lived up to my hype, even though he's coming off a decent year. I mean, the Raiders need cornerback help. They, yeah. have, to, they have to play the Chiefs, the Chargers, the Broncos with Sean Payton and Russell Wilson. So the Raiders need help. They do. I believe his name is pronounced Faison. Faison. With a Saxon C, I guess. Faison. Yeah, I, I've gotten that right before, Brandon Faison. But I'd, it's been a rough week for you for I pronunciation. Well, I shouldn't just start reading names. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, it's not good. Um, Jacorian Bennett is, is an intriguing draft pick that they had this year. Could contribute right away. Duke Shelley will be fascinating to see if he can repeat anything like what he did last season. There's not a ton of evidence to suggest that will be the case. And even... When you look at how that grade was constructed last year, so Duke Shelley had an 81.5 PFF grade overall, 84.9 in coverage on just under 400 snaps. The grade was constructed with a sort of series of high leverage situation, really good plays uh, that ended up like he had 10 pass breakups and all of them seemed to come in critical situations that were massive for the defense. It just feels unlikely that happens again, you know? Maybe he does, but like he probably has less than that in the rest of his career combined, right? Let's have a look. Yeah, it's tough yes, to rely. On. I mean, in fact, the pre the three seasons previous to that, which to be fair are not dramatically different in terms of snap totals. So we're talking about the fifty fifty. He had four pass breakups in the previous. Yeah, three it's years. tough to rely on Duke Shelley to be that guy. So if the Raiders look, the Raiders are as soon as uh, Dave Ziegler came in and. Josh McDaniels, even though they were a playoff team in 2021, there was there were enough question marks from a talent standpoint and Derek Carr that they could have blown it up and started over. The Raiders don't want to do that. They've already committed to they want to compete. So are they in the market for Marcus Peters, William Jackson the third, Shaquille Griffin, I think is a as he's twenty he's still only twenty eight, can come in and mm -hmm. play. Ronald Darby still out there. Casey Hayward just got released by the Falcons. He's getting older, up to thirty four years old there. But Troy Hill, there are some guys that you could Eli Apple, you know, who's you know wants to run his mouth a lot. Yeah, and still out there. Perfect Raider. So there are some corners I think that you could at least take a look at, bring in, and you got to try to compete with some pretty good passing attacks in the AFC West. Yeah, so I'll say the Raiders' cornerback room needs some help. There's definitely better options for those two spots than there are wide receiver. And that's not the the worst unit. In the league, though, is Arizona's defensive line and edge defenders. Their entire – that entire <laughs> – Basically, their entire defense stays. Yeah. And the, Ram, I mean, the Rams have The Rams some, is pretty bad as well, yeah. Some question marks. Every non-Aaron Donald player on that team is Right. At least you can offset it with Aaron Donald, but the rest of it is pretty weak. But the, but the Rams have all these – like, you know they're, they're, they're leaning on the, uh, the, uh, the young guys. Yeah. They're going to rely on young guys competing for, for jobs here. So, mm -hmm. All right. Is that it? Yeah, we out. That's our Tuesday show. Done. Live. Completely live. Appreciate everybody in the chat. Hit that thumbs up on the way out. Appreciate everybody for tuning in. And, yeah, we're doing this every single day. Looking for more show ideas, NFL podcast at pff.com. We have a lot of ideas, too. Mm -hmm. But it's just always good to hear from the people. It's your show, after all. So, uh, appreciate everybody for listening wherever you are in, you, in uh, podcast world. And, of course, live here on YouTube. We'll be back again tomorrow with more PFF NFL Podcast.